Welcome to So This Is Love, the podcast. I'm Jillian Shields. Here we explore and deepen the meaning of love through conversations about self, soul, and relationships. Personal stories are told and wisdom is shared. Welcome back to the podcast. So this is love. I'm so happy you're here with me today. I have another awesome guest today, and I'm really excited for this conversation for a number of reasons. But the one thing I love about the conversation we're going to have with this incredible woman, Patsy, who will be speaking today is she is just an everyday awesome woman. She's not a coach herself, and she really just wants to share her story about how she came to sobriety and learned emotional intelligence, which are both just awesome endeavors and take a lot of work (laughs) and um, a lot of growth. And I think it's really beautiful for people to see stories of everyday people, not necessarily entrepreneurs who are doing this work and having such amazing experiences and have a lot to share. So that's what we're going to be doing today. So hello, Patsy. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. So I guess really to begin on my journey into sobriety, we would have to start with my journey into addiction. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, just to like, recap a 35 years worth of life into just a few words. Um, Pretty much I grew up in a household of competition. So I was raised in dance, beauty pageants, um, piano, like any sort of like artsy type competition I was raised in. Um, When I look back on my childhood with no regret, I look back and realize my childhood was um, full of practicing and competing. It wasn't much of a childhood. Um, And along the way, of course, I didn't realize this till way after the fact, but along the way through all of the competing and all of the competitions and all of the practicing and all of the programming and the perfectionism and the moving and just instability at home, you know, you've got home life and school life, which of course, those two differ from each other, but also depending on home life depends on school life and social life, right? So all in all, between everything that I encountered, it really, what it boiled down to was it came to, I had no understanding of emotional intelligence. And because I had no understanding of emotional intelligence or emotional regulation, I was raised also in a household without that understanding. So I grew up all throughout my teens, all throughout my early twenties, like these primitive years, with no ability to cope, to self-soothe, to regulate my emotions, to navigate hard things and like figure out how to do it without going into like pure panic or freak mode. And in the process of just navigating life and trauma and social anxiety and all of the things, um, you know, I just stepped into a world of drinking and partying at, um, it really initially started when I was real young, probably like 11 or 12. So when I first like dipped my toes into it, but whenever I really was just like, I pretty much gave my childhood the finger and said, F you around like 16, 17. And that's when the pendulum swung and I just dove deep into the party scene. Mm. Um, And so, like I said, around 
it was, I think it was like summer before my junior year is whenever things really kicked off. And from then until I was 24, it was just constant, constant party. And um, at 24, I ended up losing my oldest brother uh, to suicide. And that just slung shot me even further into the bottom of a bottle of whiskey. Um, I had always just like partied and partook in drugs and just played and never really like was heavily addicted to anything as far as drug related. Um, but alcohol tended to be the, the common denominator. The one thing that got its hook in me that just kept it there. Um, and for the next two years after my brother passed, I, like I said, proceeded to get real deep into my addiction. And I remember waking up one mo- one morning and like looking at my husband as completely hungover, probably still drunk if we're honest. And I just looked at him and was like, I was fearing that I was becoming my brother. Mm. And my brother had navigated with his own demons and his own, his own things with addiction and with alcohol that led to his, uh, his passing. And then for another two years, um, I still proceeded to struggle with that. So from 2014 till 2018, I struggled heavily with that addiction. And it wasn't until one weekend of a bender, it was Father's Day weekend, 2018. I went on a bender and drank for like three days straight. Couldn't tell you how much I drank. All I know is Monday morning, I woke up completely just alcohol poisoning, so sick and just laying there. I don't even know what time it was just on the cold bathroom floor, just pleading to God, like something's got to change. Like if there's a God, I don't know what's going on, but like something's got to change. This is miserable. And I, I was like at one of the most lowest places mentally and emotionally to the place of like not wanting to be alive. But yet there was also still this, like this tiniest little ember that just needed to be flamed of life Mm -hmm. that just was like still left there, you know? And I felt it like there was just this battle of like the human in me was tired and I was just ready to give up. I was done. I was done being miserable, but like that little ember in my soul was like, we're just not done yet, you know? And from that moment on, it was like, all right, let's do it. This is the journey we're going down. So that initially just started my sobriety journey. And over the last five years of sobriety has what's taught me emotional regulation and emotional intelligence and how to navigate life being so sensitive and so emotional, um, not just on a physical realm with like my vision and my hearing and sound and stuff like that, but also in the energetic realm. So if I wouldn't have had my sobriety, I don't know if I would have learned all these coping mechanisms that would have taught me how to truly navigate like the authentic version of Patsy. Cause she was just so numbed out. Like I had never gotten to know her. What an incredible story. Like this is, and also thank you for like being so open and just um, being willing to share all of that. It's hard to talk about sometimes, you know, like when just looking back, but it's also really good to look back, you know, yeah. especially when you've gone this far. So I want to go back and ask you a couple questions that I think would be just really good to talk about. So when you say emotional intelligence, if you were to explain that to somebody, what would that mean to you? Like when you think I'm emotionally intelligent or when I'm activated in my emotional intelligence, what does that mean to you? That means being able to recognize like thoroughly recognize the emotion or the feeling that you may be experiencing in the moment while not necessarily reacting upon it 
being able to recognize it and observe it and sit with it to allow yourself the ability to come back to a place to where we can think in a place of neutrality. Because whenever we get so amped up emotionally, whether it be sadness or anger, whatever, you lose that access to that logical thinking, right? Mm -hmm. And so to me, emotional intelligence is being able to recognize and observe the emotion that you're experiencing in the moment and having the ability, if it's not something that needs to be acted upon, to sit with it until it passes. As cliche it is, as it is, is like, this too shall pass. Every emotion, every feeling is temporary. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's such a wonderful, like understanding and definition of it. And I'm really glad you said that. I think emotional intelligence too, when I think about it, and you said a lot of this as well, where it is of course, recognizing what exactly you're feeling. Right. But how I like to think about too, is like knowing that it is just, it is your feeling. It's not who you actually are. Knowing that this is your experience and in a way it is a part of you, right? Because it's your experience, but that it's not actually you. And therefore I have found that like that in itself is what starts to create that separation between, you know, your soul and who you really are versus uh, experience of an emotion, you know? And I think one of the best things about having emotional intelligence and giving yourself that space of recognition is it gives you a lot of really valuable information (laughs) that like you had said is is actually inaccessible when you are one kind of with your emotion if you know what I mean where there isn't that separation and you're identifying yourself as your emotion you actually have access to so much more wisdom when you do become emotionally intelligent guidance information that'll help you move through um, inspiration for actions you could take to help you move through and I think that that's so good I love to explain it to people in the sense of like the perfect way to exampleize it is let's say you're navigating something that's personal to you and I come in and I give you some of my advice or my wisdom or whatever. And you're like, oh my God, I didn't even think about that. Well, it's because I'm sitting in a place where I'm not emotionally charged. So mm-hmm. I'm able to look at it from a perspective where my emotions are, aren't even in the picture. That's why it's really good sometimes, sometimes, not always to, you know, whenever you're asking for advice from somebody, whenever you're navigating something emotional, seeking it from someone who is completely neutral to the situation, right? Completely neutral to you, the other party, if it's with another person, that way you're really able to receive a perspective from like a very logical, just like unpersonalized standpoint, very just bigger picture, broader picture standpoint. Yeah. I love the bigger picture. That's like my favorite thing. Emotions, emotions, and like just being so honed in is so blinding. It is. There's this really big place of magic, almost like this place of fine balance where you're able to fully experience your emotion, but also know that you're not it 
that it's separate. That's like the sweet spot where you're able to actually move through them and understand them and work through them. So you have your transformation, your healing and whatever you need really in that moment. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about all of that is, is understanding that like, yes, your emotions are not who you are, but they are here to be a guide and a teacher for all the things like what feels good to you. What, what is in alignment with you? What doesn't, what isn't in alignment, but more so than that, when you are triggered or something of the case activated, it's able to give you insight if you're able to be the observer from mm-hmm. a you know further spec standpoint and say, oh, why am I feeling that way? What like what deeper inside of me could I navigate that would help me be able to maybe navigate this with a little less emotional charge next time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you said um, being the observer, because uh, for sure, I use that a lot in my own life and in my, you know, coaching and stuff. And it's so powerful just to be the observer. So I want to ask you, because I'm sure you've been the observer many times in all of this work. If someone were to say to you, how do I start becoming an observer of my emotions? Like what what would you say that you do to help you get into the role of being the observer? Is Are there things that you do? Are there, um, whether that's, you know, in your environment or with like your internal self, like, I feel like that would be like really cool to know how you do that. You know, there's a few things. One of my biggest tools that I use is essential oils. Um, that is one of my biggest, like it brings, I have a specific handful of oils that I use or, uh, blends or aromas that, I mean, instantly just from five years of using them, I just take one, um, inhale and it's like instant grounding for me. And I'm like, okay, Patsy, like, let's bring it back center. I can tell that my energy is kind of sporadic and chaotic. So I, I grounding is big for that first thing. Yeah. 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 Um, Nature and oils are the way that I do that first. And so like if I'm inside and I'm feeling chaotic or if I'm in a car, pull over, get outside to where you get some sunlight, you can get your hands in the grass or in the dirt, whatever you need to ground yourself. Um, And then EFT, tapping. Tapping is one of my favorite ways to navigate myself through hard, hard emotions and like just big things. And I know sometimes in the moment, it isn't always easy to go through a whole entire process of, Mm -hmm. but you can create many, many small little like mantras or whatever, as you're navigating, you know, reminding yourself like, Hey, yes, this conversation is really, really hard. And between this conversation being hard and my nerves, you know, whatever words that you need to navigate through, but reminding yourself that it's okay to feel the way that you're feeling right now while you're tapping on all your meridian spots or even just on your wrists, right? Like I said, it doesn't have to be anything extensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but tapping for me has been like one of the biggest tools that have helped me navigate while also regulating my nervous system and helping my heart and my body physically kind of calm and regulate as well. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I think, yeah, EF, EFT tapping, um, I've done it a few times. I haven't done it too much. But I honestly think the basis of what tapping is when it comes to the overall like kind of timeless effect of emotional regulation is two things. Number one, you're validating how you feel and not making yourself wrong, which is like so powerful. 
that's a huge part of why it's so effective. And obviously anyone listening, like you can do that multiple ways. It doesn't have to be through tapping. Tapping is one way, but the premise that I see it is like, you're validating your emotions, you know, and you can do that in a tapping practice. You can do that by writing it out. You can write it in your notes app of your phone. You can speak it out loud. You can say it in your head, like whatever works for you after like Patsy, like you said, the grounding. And the other part about tapping, how you said about like calming your nervous system because you're, you're tapping yourself. That could also be from any type of movement, right? That you're doing, which is, which can be really effective, right? It could be like stretching, like doing like dance or moving around. I was, yeah, I was going to say dancing. And one of the biggest self-soothing things that I've done for myself, honestly, is wrap myself up in a blanket like a baby and mm. like like an infant and like literally will like coddle myself and I just let myself if it's emotions like tears or anger or whatever I will literally hold myself like a little baby like just holding little Patsy and just being like let it out baby let it out because I didn't get that when I was younger in certain instances yeah. so it's like my way of giving your you know my inner child that in return yeah yeah I love that exactly so it goes back to the point it's like if you try a particular way and like for whatever reason you can't connect it, to it I think it's really important to remember is like there will be a way for you you know and it's just a matter of you trying and really coming at it with a sense of discovery and, and curiosity and know that however you choose to do that it's it can all be powerful yeah the number one thing if I could leave anybody with is like rem this was told to me just recently and it was so simply profound yourself <laughs> <laughs> to hear something and you're like wow that was like someone just told me two plus two was four and it just blew my mind that's what it felt like to me but she just told me she was like your soul's purpose is to be you mm -hmm. and it dawned on me that like we get to these, you know, spiritual practices and this personal growth and all this kind of stuff. And we see all of these gurus on the online and hear podcasts and it's all great, but we get so distracted from our own existence, forgetting that our own existence is the freaking gift. Mm -hmm. And so it's like finding what, what you, what you, what you find the most utilizing and what lights you up the most and take that and run with it. It doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be logical. It doesn't have to make sense. It takes, unless it makes sense to you. Yeah. I love that. So good. And I was thinking while you're telling your sobriety story, I thought what a really good question would be <laughs> is, you know, anyone who's on that journey or thinking of starting that journey, what would you say is like the top thing or maybe top three things that is really important to continue on that on that journey and to you know like reach whatever goal somebody has on that journey but maybe something that's kind of unconventional like maybe something that you don't necessarily hear talked about enough that is really um, powerful when it comes to being on a journey of sobriety I would love for you to share that if you have any ideas so I think that's going to dif differ for every single person, um, for me personally, the game changer for me, getting physically sober, quitting the physical act of drinking was easy. Mm -hmm. I say that because the emotional sobriety was where the challenge was at. 
Mm. But I, I had no, I thought getting into sobriety was like, okay, quit drinking, change your habits. Duh. That makes sense. Right. Like all on a physical level. I had no clue (laughs) the volcano of emotions that was going to erupt the moment I stopped numbing and the moment I stopped placing this bandaid over all of my pain. Mm -hmm. So like the biggest number one thing is show yourself so much grace and be prepared for the road that you're going to navigate because it's not going to be the easiest road, but it's so forking worth it. Like, Mm. like if I could lend, like lend you my sober eyes to show you like what it's, what it's going to be like in just a few months and just a, maybe a year, you know, whatever, like that would be like the one thing I could do. Um, two, have a support system. It doesn't matter if it is two people or 20 people, find your people that you feel so safe with. That is the number one thing that you feel safe with, because you can just find someone to go lend an ear to, but if they're out blabbing your, you know, information or judging you or whatever, that's not a safe container. So like find yourself a safe support system that you can lean on to in any time. Right. And, oh man, I think those are probably like my number, like one and two was like, is just prepare for the emotions that are going to come through while showing yourself grace and have a support system to lean on. AA was beautiful for me, but it wasn't, it wasn't my golden ticket. It Mm. wasn't the thing that helped me. Um, one-on-one support is what helped me. I hired a coach and not a therapist. I went to therapy too. And that was great as well. But the thing that worked for me was, uh, and I worked with an energy coach. She really helped me navigate everything that wasn't here in this logical aspect, right? That's when she started to help me recognize my emotions. And she introduced me into human design and energy work and all of these other things that, that helped me realize my addiction was more than just a physical thing, right? Like, of course I got addicted because I was in um, ingesting an addictive substance, but my addiction was more than just the physical aspect of it. It was the trauma that I was not dealing with. And that's like, that's where that emotional volcano comes from. It comes from everything that you've swept under the rug after however many years that finally decides to come up whenever you decide to get sober. Show yourself grace because you're going to have nights where you're angry at the world and you have no clue or you're crying. Jesus, the amount of tears that I shed. Yeah, I mean, me too. And mine wasn't a journey of sobriety. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Even if you're not heavily addicted, right? Even if it is just a minor habit of yours, right? My number one thing I always ask people is just, just to constantly audit your life and ask yourself, what value is this bringing to me right now? Is it bringing any value? Could something bring me more value and replace in place of this? And as long as you're just auditing it over time, like it's your life, do what you want. You know what I mean? But at the same time, if we're not sitting here taking, you know, do a spring cleaning in a sense of your life. How many times do we go through and throw things out, right? Because they're no longer serving us. And it's just a constant, same in your emotions, same in your body, same in your mind. Like, all right, let's clean it out. Let's get what ain't working out of here so we can make space and room for what wants to come. 
Yeah, I love that. Like, especially because you said constant audit, like you're always kind of looking at this every whenever it feels like you should or um, whatever's calling to you or just within a certain frame of time, because I do think that's an unconventional thing that people don't necessarily say. It's more about auditing is like, oh, if there's this big problem, only when there's this big problem with somebody or something, then you need to put boundaries, then you need to think about who you're spending your time with and all this jazz, right? But I agree with you so much on this, where it's this kind of auditing of your life is, it starts to become a practice of your self love and prioritizing your well being. The thought of being sober until the day that I die was like the most daunting thing that I could ever think about. And so for for the first year, it was like literally, okay, we're just gonna be sober today. We're just gonna get through today. We're gonna get through this hard moment right now. If I can get through this hard moment right now, oh, I'm gonna go buy an iced coffee and just chug it because I'm so excited, right? Like small little things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so, but it's like, over time, you get to this place where, okay, you can get through the day, you can get through the day, then you're able to get through the month. But one thing that I don't think is talked about enough in sobriety is just because you go through a sobriety journey or even a sober curious journey, like, doesn't mean you have to stay sober for the rest of your life. You're allowed, you don't need my permission, but this is me giving you my permission. You are allowed to have a drink again, if you so consciously choose to do so in a way that you have sat with it in a conscious state of mind, right? I'm not saying you go relapse and go back, destroy your life, go back on benders and do all the things. But there are a world of people out there who get off of alcohol because they felt they had this heavy addiction. They go 10 years without drinking and they drink again and they never have a problem for the rest of their life. There's some people who can never have a sip again. There are some people who go 50 years, have a drink, and then go another 50, right? It goes back to the whole, like, it's your journey and make it what works for you. And let me be the one to tell you as someone who has five years of sobriety in her belt, I didn't remain alcohol free those entire five years. Did I have a slip one night early in the first year? I sure did. I had a little bitty sip of Jameson, right? And the instant it went down my chest and I felt the burn, it was like instant regret. Right. And I was like, nope, okay, not doing this. Fast forward, I think it was, man, it's probably about six months ago. My husband and I had a conversation and we just, we chose to say, hey, you know what? We just want to see. We just want to see. We have made a conscious choice to be sober for the last four and a half years. We are making a conscious choice together to to see. That's all we want to do. And we saw and it didn't feel good. You know, it was a very minimal amount. But because one, our body was so used to not having it, even having the smallest amount, I I felt it instantly. It was just the way it just hit my body, my heart palpitations, just, just all of that. But it was so good for us to even just try and see because we were able to come from a place whenever I got sober the first time, it was like a life or death decision. It needed to happen. Otherwise, I don't know if I'd be sitting here today. Mm-hmm. But whenever I made that decision with my husband, it was so good because it was like my decision. I was like, you know what? Mm, I just don't want it. I'm good. Mm-hmm. And it felt really good to make it out of like a grounded, solid decision versus a do or die decision. 
So all of that to say also just along the journey, just be very mindful and open to what is good for you. That's it. Cause not everyone's going to have the same journey and don't let anybody shame you for the way your journey looks. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your experience, your wisdom from your experience and your growth. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving me the opportunity and just, yeah, that's all I ever want to do is just share a little bit of light and a little bit of wisdom in hopes that it just touches another soul and gives them the little bit of push that they need to make it through the rest of the day. Awesome. Thank you.